Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com. And uh, Bruce Backman away this week. Um, we are all we are all dealing with the the now appropriately termed pandemic of COVID nineteen, the COVID nineteen virus, which is affecting all of our lives, and uh, hopefully you are out there are not personally affected by it yet, um, and hopefully you will not be, and hopefully it will pass and. Please God, we will all be safe and healthy. But uh, right now, um, let's let's not let's not sugarcoat it. This is serious. This is real, and it's affecting our community, uh, meaning the Jewish community, and very specifically the Orthodox Jewish community, uh, where it is spreading uh, from uh, from New Rochelle uh, to Bergen County to. West Hempstead and two other places. And knowing the from community like we do and the close communal and familial ties that we have between different parties, uh, perhaps, uh, and it's not an alarmist thing to say, that uh, we need to all be vigilant about our personal health, our personal safety, and the necessity of taking precautions, appropriate precautions that everybody should must take. Certainly, if you're showing symptoms, certainly if you're coughing, uh, I still see people, unfortunately, uh, coughing out into the air in public places. And it's just surprising <laughs> because we're all adults or the people who are adults, I'm saying I shouldn't say people, I should say adults doing that, and uh, you don't realize how much you're putting other people at risk. Many people are asymptomatic. You could have the virus and not know it, and it could pass, and it could be benign, and thank God that can be the case, and you move on, but there are people who are very vulnerable and susceptible. And to those people, we certainly owe it to them to practice to not spread the virus to as much as possible. And it's here. Don't think that it's not at our doorstep. And don't think the steps that will need to be taken in order to stop it, the extraordinary steps like what is going on in Eretz Yisrael, where tremendous restrictions are now in place. Essentially, you can't visit Israel anymore. Soon, uh, it might be impossible to fly back from Israel because the airlines will have canceled flights because anybody coming into Israel has to self-quarantine for 14 days kind of ruins that vacation if you were planning nobody's going to go to Israel to then go ahead and sit and you can't even do that in a hotel to sit in an apartment for 14 days and then uh, and then take the vacation so that's unlikely and the world has shrunk now there's a travel ban for Europe although some of the details have to be unfolding the president went on TV last night to announce that, and that was to the surprise, I think, of uh, our European allies in the EU. It exempts the UK. I think it exempts Ireland. It exempts others. But 
we all need to pause and take a time in, in our lives and think about, give us caution and be cautious about what is going on uh, everywhere. And the social contact that we crave, that we want, that we need, and particularly social contact for the from community where we go to shul multiple times a day, we go to Kiddush, we go to parties, we go to weddings, we go to Brisson, we go to Perm celebrations. People go want to go away for Pesach, and all these things potentially are threatened by a virus uh, that has spreads much more easily than others that we have seen. So I implore people out there to take it seriously. There are people out there in our community who we may know personally, who we know of somebody else who knows them personally, who I know of personally, or who are sick. And they should have Rufu Shlema. And just to say, we, we need to be serious. We need to be vigilant about this. And it's not... Just to comment on you know, the president talking about it last night in his Oval Office address and the way this has kind of been termed. And look, I'm no, I'm no stranger to politics and the idea that everything has political consequences and a political edge, and I get that, and I'm, I understand that. But the idea that this is a foreign invasion is kind of like a foreign war, which is what was between China, and now it's between the U.S. and the EU, and we can find some kind of foreign scapegoat in order to do that. It seems a little bit much. I mean, it's unfortunate um, to term it that way, although I do think that the travel bans are, you know, are a very sensible idea. So I don't know, and uh, obviously we're concerned when Israel does it and when others are doing it, but it's a it's that allowing people the free movement of people and ideas and everything is has its potential downside in this idea of the global of this global pandemic and we have a much more accessible world that's out there now if the president was expecting that this was going to economically um, kind of reverse the markets and I know he keeps, his eye on the market. He was definitely wrong. Um, I think the market's going to head, continue to head south, and that's obviously going to hurt a lot of people, uh, continue to hurt a lot of people's uh, savings and investments, and there seems to be nothing um, right now that's going to create this floor or the buying opportunity, if you will. So... So let's talk presidential politics for a second. This is going to be a little bit of a shorter show right now, um, just because of what's going on uh, today. But uh, let's talk politics. Uh, Joe Biden rolling along. And we saw uh, we saw now the one-on-one matchup, essentially. Yes, Tulsi Gabbard is still in the race, but um, she's not a factor. She's not even going to be invited to debate this weekend. Um which is now going to be uh, without any spectators. And I should also mention NBA games now suspended. We'll see. Hockey is going to decide 
today. The NCAA tournament is going to be without spectators, uh, as was that. That means the Division One tournament, Division Three tournament, as we know, where Yeshiva University has won their first two games of the Division Three tournament. That was played without spectators in Baltimore, Maryland, and um, you know things are things are happening. I mean, there are a lot of people trying to restrict gatherings and saying we are not going to go to a place or we're not going to allow a lot of people to congregate together to potentially spread this virus or continue to spread this virus. So Joe Biden now, uh, and Bernie's last stand was thought to be Michigan, a state where he upset Hillary Clinton uh, in 2016 and kind of threw that race uh, for a loop as Clinton was kind of cruising to, to victory and a big hiccup in Michigan. And then... And then we had Bernie versus Biden here in Michigan on Little Tuesday or Super Tuesday 2, depending on how you want to look at it. You had Michigan, Missouri, Mississippi, Idaho, North Dakota, Washington State. Bernie only managing right now a victory in North Dakota. Um, and looking like uh, Washington State at one point was going to be his, but it's not looking. But Michigan was the big prize, and everybody looking at Michigan and saying, okay, this is Bernie State, white working class voters, disaffected voters, voters who are feel left out. Joe Biden won every county, every area, every part of the state, including all the states. And it was, again, once again, as we talked about last week, like with Virginia and North Carolina and some of these other states, a much larger turnout in Michigan. Lots of voters came out, and they weren't the Bernie voters. Bernie's message has been, I'm going to bring the people who don't vote, I'm going to bring them to the polls, and that's going to be how I'm going to meet Donald Trump, and that's not happening. Uh, Joe Biden is the one bringing the people to the polls. So we will have to see you know what bernie does it was thought he made an announcement yesterday uh but it wasn't an announcement he's getting out of the race although he did not attack joe biden which is kind of interesting he just kind of left it out there so we'll have to see um you know he didn't do well and there's very little and the states coming up florida illinois big states coming up would not seem to be Bernie territory. I mean, he is 40-something points behind in Florida. Obviously, the Fidel Castro stuff doesn't help him there. And, uh, you know, I think that week that he had after Nevada, or Nevada, where he kind of had that front-brother status and squandered it immediately by continuing to show people how radically left he was. Um, Now... He had he had that opportunity potentially to say I'm going to act a little more presidential. Maybe he thought you know I'm going to follow the Trump playbook and be me, be me and you know work for Trump and I uh, and it works for certain voters and that maybe they want his authenticity and or the perceived authenticity. But a lot of Democrats were clearly turned off by that. So by the time Super Tuesday rolled around, uh, they were no longer willing to take the risk, uh, Bernie. And the most important thing for most Democrats, and I think that. Republicans need to take notice of this, and I think they are taking notice. Certainly the Trump campaign, which is very well-tooled and very very smart right now. I mean, extremely smart. They know a lot about voters. We'll get to that in a second. I just want to point that out. But very, very smart in their approach and how they're going about things. Um, 
the Trump campaign certainly wants Bernie, um, and they want to prolong this as much as possible. But uh, Bernie thinking authenticity was the key, or at least you know he has to stick to his guns, uh, that just made, well, I think all the Democrats all very nervous about him and everybody jumping to Joe Biden and quoting all his former rivals aside from Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren kind of interesting right now. She's out. She hasn't endorsed Bernie. And, the you know, there's obviously bad blood there. And a little bit surprising about how, you know, she's going about things. I would think if she's not endorsing Bernie right away, the idea is she's not going to. And there's nothing in it for her to endorse Bernie if she knows he's going to lose, really. I mean, she's not never been a Biden friend and a Biden fan. But... Kind of what's the play there? Uh, you had the funny, the strange thing of, you know, Bill de Blasio, and I hate, I know he's a punching bag, and I know he's local here, so we kind of talk about it. He became a punching bag, really, because he ran for president with no rationale whatsoever to do that. But Bill de Blasio kind of <laughs> knocking Elizabeth Warren, similar to how the Trump campaign was knocking Elizabeth Warren. I mean, the president goes there. All right. I said the president himself knocking Elizabeth Warren, saying she's the spoiler for Bernie. If not for Bernie, if she would have gotten out of the race earlier, Bernie would have won on Super Tuesday. And therefore, Elizabeth Warren is the problem. And Bill de Blasio kind of parroting that. It's kind of funny for our um, quasi-socialist mayor of New York City kind of being on the same page as Donald Trump with regard to this. Uh, but he has taken to being the troll for the Sanders campaign. But of course he got on that bandwagon late as he, as he tends to do. He did the same thing 2016 with Hillary and uh, endorsed her and she didn't seem to care about it. Um, He just has poor political timing. I mean, he had great political timing in his own race primary back in 2013 for mayor. But aside from that, he's got, I feel he's got some poor political timing, but back to Sanders for a second. Where does he go? Uh, you know, does he want? Does he want to create democratic unity? Who knows? Is not really. He's not a member of the Democratic Party. He's an independent, democratic socialist. Um, we'll have to see. Uh, we'll have to see where exactly he goes. And Biden will probably continue to extend his lead. And it is remarkable, as we said, how the turnaround has come about uh, with that, with with Joe Biden. I mean, literally. I mean, dead. Literally dead. So we shall see. Now, let's just talk to Israel for a second and, you know, where we will go, where we will go with the Israeli government. And it's hard to see. It's hard to see how this last election has really settled anything, although it's possible very possible that uh, they can form some kind of unity government, although it would probably be without BB, so I'm trying to figure out how that happens. Um, and, you know, the guy who seems to benefit from the stalemate is certainly uh, Netanyahu, because he becomes the caretaker and, you know, has been the caretaker prime minister now for a year. And it seems to be going fine. And he can continue with that, even under indictment. And 
certainly has the ability to continue to just kind of, you know, roll this, uh, keep rolling this over, you know, essentially, you know, just roll over the, you know, the, the situation into a new election. And then, you know, a new election comes around and then we have a couple more months before anything happens. Um, it's the election scenarios, uh, as far as creating government don't look great. And now with coronavirus, with a with a public emergency that Israel is taking tremendous um, uh, tremendous steps, no gatherings of more than a hundred people. Obviously, as I said, restrictions who can come into the country or quarantine for everybody coming into the country, bans and people coming in uh, in flights and. We will have to see, you know, where where this goes and the harm potentially to Israel's economy, which is a small country which relies tremendously on the European Union for business and the United States for business and many of the people who are commuters, uh, who there are, you know, many people. Not I'm not just talking about those that we know that you know commute back and forth to the U.S. and you know business in Israel and vice versa. Uh, but you know, a lot of people work in Europe during the week. We have a tremendously mobile uh, workforce, and that's a big, big challenge. So President Rivlin could potentially pick Benny Gantz as a, to form a government um, based on the indictment thing, although I don't know that he will. Remember, um, there are 58... It looks like 58 in the right-wing camp supporting BB, but that leaves 62 on the other side. Obviously, you got to include the Arab parties in there who probably will not be part of a government, but would vote against it. So that's 62. Essentially, how I don't know, I don't even know you could call it right and left is BB and anti-BB, and we'll have to see how that how that shakes out. It's impossible to know right now, and especially with the emergencies going on of the coronavirus, and the Knesset might not even meet in order to be sworn in because there's no gatherings of more than 100 people now permitted. So it's a whole, um, it's a very, very fluid, very, very fluid situation as we have right now. And uh, right now, I think a lot of Israelis probably want to concentrate on how to, um, how to navigate the coronavirus and making sure. Now the interest, one wrinkle that happened this week uh, with the Israel thing, is that uh, Orly, Orly Levy Ab- Abacassis, uh the daughter of David Levy, or David Levy, who was a former uh, Likud foreign minister, uh, she ran as part of the labor, she's the Gesher party, she part of, ran as part of the Labor-Gesher-Meretz joint ticket, three parties running together, and they won seven seats. That's basically the Israeli left. She announced that, or at least it was said, that she was not going to recommend Benny Gantz to form the government. Now, you would count her and her party as part of the left. They ran as part of the left. And that they would be part of a group that would go ahead and support Benny Gantz for prime minister. And that's what happens. The The president, Rivlin, meets with each of the parties and he decides what is their preference and how they will 
uh, how they will proceed uh, as far as who he recommends and who has the best chance of forming a government. Remember, as I said, there are 62 anti-BB. Now you can't. Now the bottom line is, Victor Lieberman has said he will not go into government with the Arab parties or with some people on the left. But, you know, I've pointed out in the past, blue and white, Kahova Lavan is not a left party. They are a center left. They're made up of actually also three parties. So it's not, and there are formerly Kudniks in there. So it's not as if they're a left-wing party. And now you have a left-wing or somebody who ran with the left who's now saying she might not go ahead and join blue and white. Now that says, okay, we can't actually, we actually don't have 62 who are going to support Gantz which is itself is interesting. So you're now stuck potentially with a stalemate on that side. And, and of the 62 on the other side, there seems to be almost no chance um, that BB can get to the 61, get three people going over to his side, because at least as long as he is the head of the Likud government. Um, I mean, one interesting wrinkle that I saw, which would be very interesting for former coalition government, that BB stays on as party chairman, and technically, they have another Lee Kudnick go as prime minister. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's, you know, there seems to be so much concentrated in BB um, as the head of the party and um, the indispensable prime minister. I think that would be very difficult in order uh, to make that happen. But, um, you know, right now, it's just, uh, and I think with the coronavirus, of course, that makes it all the more interesting. So I just want to close with saying, um, you know, just the key takeaway from the Biden victory uh, going on right now as he seems to be steamrolling to the nomination. And it, it, despite the fact that there was such a messy Democratic field and the Democratic, uh, this wide open that we moved, almost 20 candidates. I mean, they had two debates uh, going on, at a, if you remember back that far, and so many people dropped out and it's seems like it's going to be over before it's before anything happens. But as I said, um, you know, the key here with Joe Biden, is something that you want to differentiate from 2016 with Hillary. And I know Joe Biden weaknesses as a candidate and people want to talk about his weaknesses and his gaffes and his, uh, you know, he's a little bit slower than he used to be. Uh, but clearly there's some likability going on because he won every single county in Michigan, Mississippi and Missouri. Every single county. So which itself is quite extraordinary, meaning that there were no pockets, not even like you go to the college towns and some of these places where Sanders will do well. He won every single county in those states. And those are key. Those are important. Those are key states. Michigan, obviously, being key, key state. Uh, and one, I think that if Sanders, I'm sorry, if Biden were to win in the general election, obviously, that could shut down any potential uh, Trump reelection. And you know, Biden, of course, is from Pennsylvania originally, and those and and President Trump smartly went there. Uh, last week to do a town hall, Fox Town, town Hall in Lackawanna County, Scranton-Wilkesbury area. And that is, I mean, that's Joe Biden's hometown. So, yeah, very interesting. Obviously, they're all going after that same small slice of voters, but Biden is doing very well amongst those voters with a higher uh, turnout. Let me just go back for a second and just talk about the Trump campaign right now because we're not hearing. And, you know, if you look at the Twitter feed, and it's 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 important 
And I think people don't count out the president, don't count out his campaign. You would do not underestimate uh, the messaging coming from President Trump. Coronavirus aside, I, I don't think you know we can go into whether he's handling the crisis well. I don't think he is. But having said that, um, and I think that he has kind of subcontracted a lot of the running of the government, the running of the crisis to Mike Pence. Um, I think Mike Pence is looking very presidential, and I think he's looking like a guy who is in command of the issues. Um, now, sometimes we see he's not clearly the, the the decision maker, but that's interesting. But we'll leave that aside for a second. But if you look at the Twitter feed every night, Trump campaign and the Trump uh, tweet is that every time there's a primary, he is talking about his victories in these states. And he's talking, thank you, Mississippi. Thank you, Idaho. Thank you, whatever. You know, uh, he's winning all these primary victories. Now, of course, in some of these states, there's no opponent and there's nothing going on. There's no real election. But he is claiming, obviously, he's getting the delegates. They're getting awarded to him on these. And because that's what happens, officially, there are delegates being awarded. Now, there's nobody else on the ballot, but he is talking about his victories. And that is a key reinforcement for a lot of people because people like winning. People like the idea that he's winning. And... Again, despite the fact that there might not be any competition, he's projecting that image of popularity and that the voters are with him and that the people are with him. They continue to be with him. Important point. Don't discount it. Don't discount it. I know a lot of Democrats are feeling really good about you know Joe Biden or those those specifically who are moderates are feeling much better than they did two weeks ago when they were very when they were queasy about the prospect of Bernie Sanders at the top of the ticket. And we actually see. Um, the fact that Steve Bullock now getting in the race to challenge uh, uh, Steve da- uh, Steve Daines in Montana as a sign of Democrats thinking that they're going to have a good year. Don't discount the, the, the messaging. Don't discount the voter targeting and the intense data operation that the Trump campaign has. And uh, don't be surprised about how competitive the 2020 race is going to be. That's it here on Spin Class here on the Nachum Siegel Network. See you next week. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.